Welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burse, here with my co-host and A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. Zach and I are talking everything balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds good to you, make sure that you go over to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify and subscribe, rate, review, yada, yada, yada. And you won't miss an episode when they drop every Monday morning at 7 a.m. And maybe this week, Lord willing, please, please, somebody, maybe we'll do some extra episodes or an extra episode this week if there is a movement midweek on Jeremy Pruitt's job status. We're going to talk about that in just a second. I'm at Charlie underscore Burris on Twitter, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports on Twitter and Instagram, then Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville. And a to zsportsnashville.com for all of the stuff that Zach writes. Well, Zach, I'm depressed for a few reasons to start this show off. Uh, one of those being that we are recording it in the middle of the Titans game. And the Titans are getting destroyed with a AFC South divisional title on the line. Great stuff. Would expect nothing less from my Titans. God love them. Uh, shoot me in the face. And then, on top of that, there has been no movement on the Jeremy Pruitt situation at Tennessee. Either way, there has been no indication of anything. Uh, there has been, I guess, movement technically on Pruitt's staff, offensive line coach, and very good friend to Jeremy Pruitt, Will Friend, uh, is going to South Carolina for the same exact job, uh, doing it for... Uh, the retained offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, over there, and new coach Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Wilfrind has uh, taken that job, and there has been no replacement in his place. But other than that, Zach, what do you think of this week that has passed? Uh, not a whole lot, because like you said, nothing's happened other than uh, Will Friend leaving, and I thought for sure something would have happened by now. Surely we'd have some sort of insight as to whether or not Pruitt would be the head coach next season. I'm really – we could go at this time, I thought there's no way he'll be the head coach next season, and now I'm feeling like 75 80% chance he's the head coach next season. It's just – and maybe that changes this week. I don't know. But right now, just the way things are going, the way they've kind of dragging this out and not really doing anything – Kind of gives me that feeling like he's going to be back for year four. The longer it's gone on, the more I've had a creeping suspicion that nothing will happen. <laughs> um, I have been listening. I, I'll say I have never been a consumer of sports radio in Knoxville much at all. Strangely, ironically, I would say, because, you know, I kind of did sports radio as a job for a few years. Um, and then I do this. I But I just never... Never have been. When I was doing it as a job, I really did it because I didn't want to be, you know, I, I didn't want to kind of take anybody's style, take anybody's talking points, because you could you could hear something on another show and then be like, oh, well, this is what I think, but actually it's something you heard somewhere else. Anyway, personal philosophy there, but I have been listening since I'm not a daily talk show host anymore. I've been listening to Tony Basilio lately. And I know he's a divisive figure. I like Tony a lot. He was really good to us when I was at Swain Event. Um, he actually let us do our show from his house where he does his show for a while while I was there. Um, 
and he he's been really cool. But his show, he's pretty well connected, and he, I was in, it's been interesting this week. He said he was of the impression that it was. He, he very much feels like it's it's gonna be done for Pruitt. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said he was leaning that way. And, you know, he's well-connected, and that's great. He had on uh, Dan Harrelson this week. Dan Harrelson was kind of split 50-50 maybe. I'm just kind of relaying some of the stuff I've heard, trying to, you know, put put that out there. At the same time, you got the guys over at, oh, what uh, what do they call it? State-run radio, um, as, as a lot of the fans like to call it. They're, you know, they've kind of been under the impression. We talked about what they said in past weeks where they think, oh, they're not going to even consider getting rid of Pruitt. There's no way he's staying. So who do you believe in this situation? And as the days pass, I feel like you, Zach, I think. I just get that creeping suspicion that, man, they're not going to do anything, are they? They're not actually going to do anything. And it's so, so obvious that they need to. But I, I hope we're wrong. I really hope we're wrong. You know, the fact that there's so many different feelings and sources telling people things, that's that's part of what's wrong with Tennessee. I mean, you've I, I don't doubt Tony Basilio and, and his sources. I don't doubt Brian Rice over over at at, at State Run Radio and his sources. I, I think they're all pretty accurate. And that's the problem is you've got too many people at Tennessee trying to make decisions and it's all over the place and nobody knows what's going on. And I think that's just the perfect you know, it just kind of frames that perfectly. Like that's exactly the issue. And that's why Tennessee's in the shape they're in. It's a, it's still just a total mess. What do you make of this factor that you can consider, I guess, a sign maybe Wilfrin left and there has really been no indication of a replacement. Um, And you could take that as uh, maybe that's a sign of the end for Pruitt or, they're just pushing it off. I honestly, I I think no matter what, this is a really bad sign for what's going on inside, because it either means they're gonna fire Pruitt, but it's being delayed for whatever reason. Maybe it's because he has COVID or whatever, um, or it means there's so much discombobulation there that they're just you know, hey, don't hire anybody yet because we're not really sure what's going on. Like. Maybe we're reading too much into it because he has COVID, and maybe just things are sort of on pause. I, what are you? What are your thoughts? I don't. I don't think the Will friend going to South Carolina. I really don't think there's much to glean from it for a couple of reasons. One, there is uncertainty at Tennessee, of course. If you're Will friend, you know you're a coach, but you also want a little bit. I mean, you're always taking different jobs going here and there. You're not an offensive line coach somewhere for. 10, 15 years, typically. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. But you would like a little bit of like, hey, I'm going to spend my next couple of years here. His contract was up at Tennessee. Um, He's great friends with Jeremy Pruitt. He's also great friends with Mike Bobo. I mean, he left Georgia to join Mike Bobo at Colorado State. It it wasn't a, you know, if if he's going to leave any, if he would have went somewhere else, maybe I'd read a little more into it. But going to South Carolina to work with Mike Bobo, it's still an SEC job. He'll probably get a two or three year contract. He'll have a little bit of security there where he can he can stay in Columbia, which I don't know why you'd want to be in Columbia, but that's neither here nor there. It's their own. But yeah, he, he gets a couple of years where he can stay there and you know that 
in Tennessee, I mean, what are you going to do? You sign a two-year deal, Pruitt gets fired next year, then you're still looking for a job, and maybe you can't go work with Mike Bobo. That's kind of how I feel about it. So here's a problem that I see with hiring uh, new coordinators or new new position coaches or whatever in this offseason. This would really probably be more of a factor with a coordinator just because it's a higher paid job and probably you're going to try to pull from a little more higher profile pool of guys. I mean, you got off from two years, right? Yeah. Right? I, you, you can't bring a guy in and just be like, oh, you get one year. You could do that with, you could maybe do that with like a QB coach where you just go, it's a tenuous situation. We all get it. We'll give you a one year. Maybe, maybe. But if you tried to replace Cheney right now, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, we got to replace Cheney, got to replace Cheney. I don't know how you do. I I honestly don't. I, I, could, I could see you potentially drawing in with a bit, with a fat paycheck, uh, a, de- a defensive coordinator right now, May- maybe, but I, I I just don't know how you do it. All, all of these guys realize what's up in Tennessee right now. Everybody realizes the next year, if Pruitt gets this next year, next year is the, is the year. And if you don't win, I mean, I would say if you don't win minimum, minimum, minimum seven games, you're done. I mean, it has to be. And so it's, a precarious situation at best. Yeah, I agree. There's no way that you fire Jim Cheney. I mean, is he the problem? Is he not the problem? That's a whole nother conversation. I don't think he's the entire problem because of the way we know Jeremy Pruitt likes to micromanage. I know some disagree with that. Whatever. Everybody celebrated Jim Cheney when he got hired to replace Tyson Hill and everybody thought it was a, a great move. I thought it was a great move. You fire him. Who are you going to hire? Nobody reputable is going to come do this job. Then you're kind of hoping you nail like and young up and coming offensive coordinator. Chances of that happening are slim. And even hey, look, Tyson Helton is is doing well at Western Kentucky. He's a he's a good coach. He didn't have success with Jeremy Pruitt, so that kind of doesn't matter who you hire. If they can't work with Pruitt, it's not really going to matter. You stick with Cheney. You probably have to stick with Derek Ansley. I think you've got T. Martin's contract is expiring. That could be an interesting situation. Brian Niedermeyer's contract has expired. If he's involved in this recruiting scandal, he's probably out the door anyway. Hopefully they move on from Chris Winkie. Other than that, I mean, I I can't really see trying to make a whole bunch of changes. You're just up and buyout money that you'd have to, to pay out if he gets fired after next season. It all just goes into what I said last week where (laughs) I don't even know how you talk yourself out of saying firing this dude's the easier option. It just is. You have such a weird situation now, such a mess of trying to hold it together if you keep Pruitt, that just finding somebody new, without a doubt, yes, it's... In the short term, it's probably more expensive. Keeping him, in my opinion, keeping him would be more expensive in the long run. Keeping him will be more expensive for you over the next two years because uh, you're going to lose a ton of money when you don't sell tickets next year, and then you're going to lose a ton of money when you got to fire him next year like you were going to this year. Um, and so I'm just cutting ties right now. How How is this not straightforward? And maybe, maybe it is a fact that 
you know, they're, they're trying to find somebody to foot the bill. That could be the case that they're trying to find a donor to say, hey, what, not only do we need 12 million to get rid of this guy, and of course it's 12 million in increments. You don't have to pay it all up front. There's stipulations in the contract. I don't know exactly what the wording is there, but you don't pay it all the day you fire him. But nonetheless, you know, we, we got to have somebody to foot the bill. But I would say, in terms of more immediate expenses, we got to have somebody to pay for a new coach, too. And especially right now, you have to, have to, have to be willing to shell out some cash if you're Tennessee. You have to be. You have to be willing to go and either the easy option is is Hugh Freeze. I, he's, he's so desperate right now, now that no other jobs are open. You kind of have him in a corner, actually. Because I thought at first, I mean, he just won 10 games. He beat Coastal Carolina to finish the season. Just won 10 games. He's in a great position. He's in a catbird seat. But at the same time, there's no other jobs open. So you kind of have him in a corner if he wants a job. And you can kind of be like, look, we're, we're what's open this year. Take what we're going to pay or don't. You could go that route. Or you could go with big money to some other bigger names. Um, there, there's there been a lot of chatter specifically with that Auburn job that like Lane Kiffin would be willing to jump ship after one year at Ole Miss. It seems crazy. And would be an indication that Lane has not really matured all that much from, from when he was at Tennessee. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, but go go to a guy with that sort of stature and say, hey, we got a fat paycheck for you. We got a nice deal. We can we can drop a contract that's favorable to you. You come in, you do what you want. This program, you know, with all these resources is yours. I, that's the position to me. That's the position that Tennessee has to be in. You can't go to a, at least not initially. You can't go to a Billy Napier and be like, obviously, you're probably going to want this job. Here you go. I mean, that's that's the bargain bin classic Tennessee. I, I don't think people will be okay with that, but I think they would point. they would probably talk themselves into this being a good hire because you'd see all these. You'd see a lot of college football reporters, national college football reporters. Uh, if Tennessee hired Billy Napier or if they hired Jimmy Chadwell from Coastal Carolina they'd be tweeting that this is a really good hire, great young coach. He'll do well. He'll have success. I've seen that tweet hundreds of times and it 90% of the time it doesn't work out. It never works out. The, this guy knows how to coach guy never works out. And Billy Napier has done well. Chadwell's done well. I, I think both of those would be high risk gambles at Tennessee though, especially Chadwell who has no sec experience. He has a, kind of strange offense that it's almost like this triple option type deal that yeah. Tennessee does not have the personnel to run that right now. Um, it would take at least two years probably to really get that offense going. And, you know, Tennessee fans are not going to be patient for that. And I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to be patient either. You're going to fire Pruitt. You want to, you want to hire somebody that's going to win, you know, like one of these names you're mentioning, a, a Hugh Freeze or a Kiffin or, even Gus Malzahn, who we've talked about, would be mm-hmm. such a massive upgrade from Jeremy Pruitt. You have to get in that pool. You just have to. You know, I, I had somebody on Twitter trying to say Luke Fickle would be the hire to, to him, to this person I was talking to. It would be Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's undefeated this season. They looked great. I'll say that. Luke Fickle comes from an Ohio State background. He he was a longtime assistant for Urban Meyer, and then he jumped ship for the head coaching job at Cincinnati. He took Cincinnati from a four-win team to now, I believe, either 
two two straight seasons of at least 10 wins or three straight seasons of at least 10 wins, something like that. But I said, good luck trying to sell the head coach from Cincinnati with zero SEC experience to this fan base right now. Good luck trying to spin that. Yeah, I bet Fickle's a good coach. I bet he is. I, and and working at Ohio State, he probably has pretty decent recruiting connections too, even if he hasn't been in the SEC. But pff, he's a guy from Cincinnati who has never worked in the SEC. I uh, that would be a hard sell, I think. I mean, I, I you know, if if it came down to it, and he became like the the hire that you had the default to because you tried big names, you could probably sell it as like, hey, this is the best we could find in the second tier. Okay, maybe. And then you kind of go, let's just see what happens. But if you, like, target Luke Fickle, oh, boy, you better have a good line of reasoning lined up because that's not going to go over well with a whole lot of people. And it, so... It's kind of surprising that he was never he was never really in the mix for the Auburn job, was he? I don't think I really I heard his so. name come up. I think you're well, really going to want to target an offensive guy to this next I, I think... I think Fickle is, why would you leave? I would say in terms of him, it wouldn't surprise me at all if maybe Tennessee knocks on that door and he goes, no, I'm not taking that job. Because he, obviously, you would say initially he might be holding out for the Ohio State job. The Ohio State job is not coming open anytime soon. Ryan Day is fine. Um, They're going to be competing at that high level until something cataclysmic happens. Um, but I would say if you held out for, I don't know, Nebraska, easier build, easier division in football, uh, just an easier road to hoe in general, but also a huge program with a giant fan base and a ton of resources, hold out for Nebraska. That's a lot easier to succeed there than it is in Tennessee. It's funny you mentioned Nebraska, though, because when I see Luke Fickle having success at Cincinnati, I kind of think about Scott Frost and the success he had before he went to Nebraska <laughs> I thought he was a shoe in. I thought and he that, hasn't made it work. That guy, Scott Frost, has forever changed my view of of coaches because I thought he was a sure thing. I would have, if Tennessee would have hired him in 2017, I would have thought home run hire. They nailed it. I mean, that's what I, I would agree. have thought. And he's just not panned out at Nebraska at all. There is a big, big difference between UCF and a real job. No offense to UCF, giant school with a lot of resources and a cool fan base and a cool city, you know, down there next to Disney World, but it's not the same. It's not an SEC job. They like to think they're in the SEC. You're not. You're not in the SEC, UCF. Okay, sorry. Um, And they've had great success since Scott Frost left, too, so it's not like, yeah, it's not like they're missing him. It's the UCF job. Yeah. Like, it's... In, in the league that they're in with it's specifically it's the league that they're in with the resources that UCF has that puts them kind of head and shoulders above the people around them um and I agree and and I thought big time Tom Herman I thought he would really really succeed and granted he had a 10 win season he won a sugar ball he beat Georgia I would kill for that right now let me just say that if they fire Herman which I don't think they're gonna, uh, but if they did, give me Tom Herman. I would take that right now at Tennessee. I mean, you want one, I think, had a nine-win season, had a 10-win season, you want a Sugar Bowl where he beat Georgia. 
did Pruitt do literally anything close to that? Absolutely not. Give me that right now. But I, I just think that you have to be shooting pretty high right now. And there has to be a, a good faith effort because there is just across the board, even with some of the sunshine pumping fans, there just is the opinion that Tennessee is just a, a penny pinching bargain barrel type of athletic department that, you know, they just like to go, let's see what we can get on the cheap. And, you know, every now and again, they go and uh, get Mike Gundy arrays out there at Oklahoma state, but um, you know, just on the whole, they just don't, I, I would say the, the close, the closest that they did was uh, Charlie strong um, with Dave Hart, Dave Hart, it seemed like that was close to being done in Charlie Strong State of Louisville. I don't know if that – my theory is Dave Hart didn't offer him enough money. He just didn't to come to Tennessee to, to put up with this nonsense. And so the penny pinching got us again. Of course, you might have dodged a bullet there. But, you know, there just has never been this actual commitment to we are going to throw cash at this thing and make it work. Texas A&M willed it to work. $75 million to Jimbo Fisher. And it hasn't totally paid off yet. They haven't made the playoff, but uh, they're 9-1 and one right now. And I would kill a man to be 9-1. and one. So, uh, not not really. The FBI is listening or whatever. I know they do. They listen to our phone calls and stuff. But uh, I don't want to kill anybody. But I would love to have a 9-1 season right now. I just know that much. It's you got to be aiming high. Got I really feel like... Uh, Pruitt doesn't have a lot of support really with the fan base at this point either. And I've seen that a lot over the last week because I gauge that totally by Vol Facebook because I think Twitter is not the reality of the fan base. You have a lot of smart fans on Twitter. Some not so smart too because we see those pop up from time to time. But Facebook, I feel, is your just general, like of the people at Neyland Stadium on a normal fall Saturday that's mostly that's 80% vol Facebook, 20% Twitter, maybe. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. Sure. Yep. And in in the last week, I've, I've wrote several articles about replacing the uh, quarterbacks coach. If you fire Chris Winky, hiring a new DL coach, offensive line coach, and those articles have been received with let the new coach make that hire or why are we even talking about this? And when you start seeing that stuff on Facebook, I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week. It just seems like nobody's interested in seeing Pruitt get another year. They're just not, they just don't even want it. I actually kind of use a couple of people as a barometer personally. Um, it's some, somebody I work with without getting too specific. And then my own dad. Um, Cause my dad he grew up in central Kentucky, and he's always been a Louisville fan, but we've always lived in Knoxville. Um, and so I he, always, since we lived in Knoxville, we were always UT fans, but he's always been, he's casually a UT fan, where I have two degrees from UT, grew up in Knoxville my whole life, and I'm like, you know, my wardrobe's orange, where, you know, he's just more casual. And so I like to just gauge, like, how is he feeling? Because all he does is, like, he buys tickets to a couple games a year, goes to the games. It's much more of a casual view um, rather than being deep in it like we are, where we, I think you can really 
talk your way into opinions that probably don't relate to the full fan base as a whole. And I feel like a more casual fan like that. And then this other person that I work with is, is pretty similar, like a casual. Um, I think he actually has season tickets to Tennessee games, but it's still not on, you know, on the two, four, seven message boards talking about conspiracy theories that like urban Meyer's wife is looking at property in La Follette out here, you know? And so, uh, and I gauge them and they're both just like, this guy's a clown. I, you know, I, I watched the game on Saturday on TV and he's terrible. <laughs> like there's not, you can't talk, you can't talk your way into this guy at this point. I think for most people, if you pay attention decently, even those casual fans kind of look and they go, I think this guy stinks. <laughs> I think he's not good. Um, and then on top of that, I also look at, I, I have a couple of friends, a couple of sets of friends, unfortunately. I don't know how I lucked into this. A couple of my best friends, two, two different sets of friends, are Florida fans. Um, the ones that I went to the Florida game with this year is one of them. Um, they laugh at Tennessee. They just laugh at us. They just say, this is sad. This is, you guys are a joke right now. Just straight up. And you, what, what, what am I supposed to say? No, we're not. Yeah, Tennessee's a joke right now. Tennessee... Uh, the, the football coach stinks and the AD doesn't care about winning. Like that's what the perception that anyone outside of Tennessee has of Tennessee right now. And so your casual fan thinks this guy stinks. Uh, the, your other fan bases think don't even see Tennessee. Don't even see Tennessee as a threat. Don't even really care because you just, it's sad. It's just, Oh man, Tennessee, you guys have sucked for so long now. And, and like your athletics department doesn't even care. Do they like, that's the perception outside of Tennessee. That should make you mad as hell as a fan. And it should make you want to hold these guys to higher standards, such as firing this dude and going out to try to get a big name. And like, I, I, as I said, I've tried to find ways to try to talk around it to see if I'm missing anything, any other viewpoint. I just don't know how you justify it at this point. I mean, he just, it's not good. I mean, what do you think is going to change in year four? When year three was so bad, when it was just this constant barrage of coaching failures. I mean, you, you, the team looks undisciplined. There, there's false starts. There's just pre-snap penalties. Nobody really knows what's going on. You got 12 men running onto the field at random times, blown coverages, coaches yelling at each other on the sideline. It's just a complete mess. It's not like they're, they're just – just a little bit away where they're losing games. They can't close a game out in the fourth quarter. They're running out of steam. They're trying to still figure out how to get over the hump just a little bit. You know, they're they're not anywhere close to competing in the SEC East. And I keep seeing these tweets and comments about, well, we always knew it was a five-year rebuild. Sure, yeah, it was. it's a five-year build to be competing for the SEC championship. I would agree with that. When Pruitt got hired five years to compete for the SEC championship, he's not going to be there in two more years from what we've seen this year. There's no way. Mm -mm. No way. I, and I've, I've said this for a long time now. When people go, well, it's a five-year rebuild, I say, well, you say, yes, probably. I don't think Pruitt can build. I don't think that Pruitt is the builder. He's not chipping Joe over here. He's not going to give you a good flip. He stinks. And, uh, you know, do people get that reference? Is that going to go over well? Chip and Joe, Chip and Joanna Surely. Gaines, the HGTV people. I don't know. I don't know who who listens to this show. Anyway. <laughs> I, I mean, he just, he, 
he can't get it done. I think something something a lot of people say is that hey, the program is better off now than it was in 2017, and it probably is from the end of 2017 when things went so far south that it was just I mean everything was just going every nobody knew really what was even going on in the program it was just complete chaos but early in 2017 Tennessee was a play away from beating Florida and that's the closest they've come to beating Florida they haven't come any closer since then and that's a problem the division, the, any kind of talking point from Pruitt or Fulmer that like this, the quote unquote gap is closing. Give me a break. The gap is closing. Now, I will say this. I do think that Tennessee is probably roster wise, purely roster wise, probably in a better spot than they were in 2017. I mean, Butch decimated the place. He just left that thing in shambles. Um, but the gap between you and Florida, the gap between you and Georgia, and the gap between you and ba- Bama, the only ones that matter, is massive. Florida is the furthest back, specifically because they're recruiting just, Dan is just not on par um, with the other two right now. And I think that'll catch up to him eventually. He found a really good quarterback this year and, and a couple of really, really good skill players um, that have really carried that team. But I, you know, that gap is not as big as the other two, in my opinion. But to catch back up with those guys, I mean, you are starting from way, way back in the line. And it's going to be a tough road to hoe. And, I mean, you just... I don't know. I'm sitting here thinking about Florida and just kind of getting a little, like, more mad by the second because... Tennessee was basically ahead of Florida in 2016. Oh, you were. 2017. Like I said, 2017, you barely lose to him. It was a fluke. Butch Jones lost that game. Whatever. You both fired your coaches in 2017. And I know Florida had a better roster, maybe. A little better. Like you said, Butch didn't leave much, but... Marginal. Yeah, not, not enough to really... Not enough for it to be where the gap is wide as it is right now. And I mean, here, here you go. Both schools that year went four and eight, and only one of them had to play Alabama, and it wasn't Florida. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, Tennessee had a given loss on its record, and they still had the same record as Florida that year. I might, I might be wrong. Let me check make sure Florida didn't play Alabama that year. I might be speaking incorrectly. But you get my point, nonetheless. Like, Anybody that says, oh, Florida, it was such an easier rebuild, you could maybe assert that from uh, saying that there's better talent in the state of Florida, and so Dan has better pickings you know, that are just sort of right there. Somewhat, um, but you still have Florida State and LSU to exactly. deal with. They, they have huge competition in that state. Miami's getting better with Manny yes. Diaz. And so, you know, they, they got plenty of competition down there. It's not like it's just the easiest job in the world to be great at. And so they, they didn't play Alabama that year, so I was right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but the like to say that that gap was giant back then is it's inaccurate. Just, it's not true, yeah. It's inaccurate. And, and the rebuild, I, I mean, I really think – 
People like to say that it's apples and oranges because of the the gap in talent in the state of Florida compared to the state of Tennessee. But like you said, they have a ton of competition. It's just not a valid excuse. You can get top 10 classes at Tennessee. Yes, easily. Fairly easily. And Butch Jones did it. What's the difference in a number five ranked class and a number 10 ranked class? You know Alabama's getting all the best players no matter what. But when you get down into number five, number 10, number 12, the, the gap between those classes is not that big. It's not. And, and recruiting services miss on a ton of these kids. Coaching staffs miss on a ton of these kids. You have no clue what they're going to do when they get on campus. Talent, you, you, you can't teach size, you can't teach speed, but you still have to coach these kids and develop them. And that's what it's all about, really. Football is different than basketball. But I will say this in terms of picking and choosing talent. Rick Barnes with this basketball team, it is so, so clear that they go out and get a specific type of kid. Even among the five stars that they've gotten. Yes, sometimes they fall into your lap like Kennedy Chandler, who he just happens to live in state and he's amazing. But you got a guy... Uh, you know, a, a couple of guys in this last class that are not that easy, um, but they're a specific type of kid that Rick Barnes goes out and gets, even if they're not, you know, they're not at the same, well, this year they are at the same level as the kids that are going to Kentucky. In fact, they're probably markedly better than the kids that went to Kentucky, but usually, like, uh, Grant Williams was a three-star, and Rick took him. That's the exact type of kid Rick wants, and he takes that exact type of kid and makes them a star because he knows exactly what to do with them, to put him in the correct position to do the best job out there on a basketball court. Suffer with football, a whole lot more moving parts, but there are coaches that just have a knack to go, here's this kid. Yes, he's not a five-star, but he has this drive. He has this talent that can really be utilized in this specific way. And there are guys that are incredible at that and can really do it. And, and I would say, honestly, uh, year in and year out, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State was good at this. I, I will give him that credit for sure because he was taking talent he was drawing out of the state of Mississippi, which is not some kind of like hotbed for great talent. Hotbed for anything <laughs> the state of Mississippi. Um, but... And he was taking it and, and winning nine games in the SEC West. Like, there are coaches who can do that really well. And, I mean, go and find that guy. Is that guy Hugh Freeze? Hugh Freeze did it. Some at Ole Miss. And so, you know, you got to work with what you have. Georgia and Alabama are getting all the five stars. Sorry, that's the way that it is. Clemson, Ohio State. And then you do the best with what you have. And you can compete with Florida. You can compete. You can be right with Florida. You can be right behind Florida at worst with what Tennessee has to work with. That's, I mean, I think a half-competent coach could do that, and Jeremy Pruitt can't even do that. I think you've finally solved my, uh, my mystery of figuring out who's a good coach and who's not. I think the barometer is go to Mississippi State, win nine games, and you're the guy. Because that makes perfect sense. I mean, if Maybe. you can do it, it, it worked. It worked for Dan Mullen. He he did that. I mean, he was kind of really the first one that we kind of have seen make that transition. Because not a lot of guys go to from SEC school to SEC school. 
But I remember when Dan Mullen was an option at Tennessee, it was kind of some of the stuff we've heard with Hugh Freeze recently. Well, he's only winning nine games there. Or he lost to this team or that team. He blew this game. But look at what he's done at Florida. He's taken Florida to where Florida pretty much wants to be. Obviously, they'd like to be in the playoff. They, they got to get over the hump just a little bit there. But they're way better off than they were under Jim McElwain. They're better off than they were under Will Muschamp. And I think it proves that, hey, you go to one of these schools like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, you prove you can win there on a you know, moderate level, it's going to translate to success at a bigger program. I mean, man, Hugh Freeze has got to be the guy. The more I think about it like that and the way you frame that conversation, it he can do it at Ole Miss. He can do it even better at Tennessee. Why can't, why can't he? It's really hard for me to to try to talk myself out of that. And we've already addressed it. He is no angel. There are people in this profession who think that he's a backstabbing scumbag. There are also people in this profession that think that he's a great person and has also really served his penance um, during this time and is really just hoping to turn over a, a new leaf. I'll leave that to whoever has those opinions. But, I mean, it's right there. It's right there. And this dude is begging to come to Tennessee. I mean, obviously, we've heard all these reports. You had ESPN out here saying that Tennessee would be his preferred landing spot. You had, during the Auburn search, you had reporters from all over saying he, his name is probably not in the pool for the Auburn job because he's holding out for the Tennessee job. And then he goes online and he, you know, on Twitter and he's saying, choose joy, which was like written on the rock and Tennessee fan. He's getting Tennessee fans all worked up. I mean, this guy's begging for this job. And, and I get it. You don't want to be stuck at Liberty. He wants to get back to the SEC. He's desperate to get back to a big job. As I said, you kind of haven't backed into a corner since no other jobs are open. I think you could get him, relatively speaking, on the cheap, um, which would still be probably four or five million bucks a year, but nonetheless. Um, and I just, I have such a hard time going. It, you, you would have to give me a super compelling, hard proof reason to not want to go get this guy right now. And a lot of people are saying the NCAA, I said this last week, tell the NCAA to kiss off. Everybody cheats. It's a mutual, you know, a mutually assured destruction thing here where it's like, if one school rats on another, well, another school is going to rat on them and, you know, so on and so on and so on. So they just don't really tell on each other much at all. Almost across the board, schools just tell on themselves to try to stay in the good graces of the NCAA and just be like, oh, well, we'll sit out of a bowl game this year. Oh, well, you weren't going to go to a bowl game anyway, LSU. Um, and so, you know, they just do that little self-punishment. Here you go, NCAA. Here's your handout to say, to try to make you think I'm following the rules. And you tell the NCAA to kiss your butt and you go hire a good football coach. And I, I mean, that is the only compelling reason I've heard it all is his indiscretion with the NCAA. Maybe they'll be quote unquote out to get him or whatever. But I mean, otherwise, this is just the most, I mean, it's like this hire might as well just be slapping Philip Fulmer in the face. Just, hey, hey, here we are. Wake up, Phil. Wake up. Here it is. You know, I, I don't know how it could get more obvious to me. 
I think the only concern I have with Hugh Freeze at this point is something I've seen talked about on Twitter a little bit, and I think Stephen Godfrey that uh, covers college football for SB Nation wrote about it a little bit uh, a couple of years ago when Hugh Freeze was first uh, when he first resigned at Ole Miss because the recruiting stuff and and the personal scandal is his reputation in the coaching community. How, what kind of staff could he put together? Would he be able to attract the type of coaching staff that you need at Tennessee to have success? Now, maybe he could with no problem, but that, that is the one concern that I have a little bit because said Godfrey kind of alluded to Freeze's reputation not being that great before all this happened, just because some coaches don't really like the, they called it the holy roller vibe that he gives off with, with the Bible verses and stuff, and then you turn around and do something like that in your personal life. It's kind of hypocritical a little bit, and they kind of sense that before it ever happened. That's my really only concern, and maybe that's completely misguided. I mean, I could be completely wrong there. And I'm not saying that's the case at all, but that is my really my only concern. It could absolutely be. Uh, and so, as I said, compelling, hard evidence to try to convince me otherwise. That is one that would give me pause. Um, obviously but it's I just want, speculation, really. Exactly. I, I would want to know the specifics there. What, what has he done that make coaches exactly feel that way? Because, man... Every football coach out here is a borderline sociopath. Are you kidding me? And that you could just be me. because he was kicking their tail and recruiting for a couple of years, uh, too. Yeah, exactly. And so I I would want to know more before making a, a full-on judgment there because, to me right now, he's coming off a 10-win season. He had a 10-win season at Ole Miss, beat Alabama twice. I mean, we know. We know all the talking points on his successes Things also totally fell apart at Ole Miss. He did get slapped around by the NCAA um, and did things bad enough that I believe I don't think he even got a partial buyout of his contract at, at Ole Miss. But No, he completely he resigned and kind of just walked oh, away yeah, that's from true. it. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, but I think I his mean, penalty was the same. I could be wrong on this, but I th- he had a one-year show calls penalty, I believe from his time at Ole Miss, which is exactly what Dan Mullen was just hit with this week at Florida. I mean, the NCAA stuff really, if, if that's the case, isn't too much of a concern, I wouldn't think. Freeze was hit with a one-year show cost penalty and a two-game suspension in December 2017 for lack of institutional control while at Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, that was, and of course, the nonsense with Mullen, he basically got time served yeah. because of the pandemic more or less um so stupid as i as i always say the ncaa is a powerless toothless garbage organization that does nothing but sit around and pester people that are just trying to coach football but nonetheless that's a whole other show that i could do um i you can have your opinions on those type of things. I'll just put it this way. I have not heard compelling enough evidence. Somebody somebody come to me. Come to me. Send send me on, on Twitter. If you have the direct evidence of like, this coach doesn't like him, here's why, here's exactly what happened. Because here's, here's what I know. There's a lot of coaches out there that a whole bunch of dudes hate, but they win. They're winners. Yeah, it's not like Mike Leach is the most popular guy on the planet after what happened at Texas Tech. And they 
And well, it did take him. I don't think he didn't find immediate success after Texas Tech. Uh, yeah, I mean, all that. What was it? He like didn't he stuff a kid in a locker or something? Yeah, like a shed. He or, locked the kid in the shed. Yeah, <laughs> in practice field, and yeah, it's bizarre Mike Leach but stuff. Either, either way, I mean, you can also look at it this way. As far as those talking points go, yes, he may not have a great rep in the coaching community um, with some people. Also, at the same time, there is hundreds of coaches that would look at an opportunity at Tennessee and go, oh, yes, please give me that job. They may not be super high profile, um, but they would be, they would crawl on broken glass to get an opportunity at one of the biggest programs in the SEC, the, one of the biggest programs and the biggest, most successful conference in America. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, go find your Joe Brady. Joe, nobody... Nobody knew who Joe Brady was before last year. Nobody knew who that guy was. And, and you know, coached- part of part of that is, and I'll, I'll give Ed Ogeron credit because Ed Ogeron was the exact same coach almost that Jeremy Pruitt is right now. And he realized it. He changed. And I don't know if he's a better coach or not. I don't know if he's a one-year wonder. But I do know that he let the coaches on his staff do their job in 2019 and he did not squander that talent that he had, which plenty of coaches could have. He let Absolutely. Joe Brady, who has an innovative offensive mind, Joe Brady is not the only guy on this planet that can come up with that stuff. Joe Osevet might be the same type of coach at Tennessee right now, but Ogeron let him do his job. Pruitt is not letting his coaches do their job. There's lots of quality assistants out there. You just got to let them do their job. That's why they're there. Well, we can kind of leave it there. I, as I said, I mean, hit me on Twitter. If you got some real compelling evidence, I, I mean, there's been a couple people, there's a couple like real hangers on that are like, no, anybody but you freeze, anybody but freeze. Are you, have you seen the, uh, there are a couple people like that that have been staying. You want to send a really. Hugh Freeze type tweet. Uh, if you have evidence, <laughs> please send it to <laughs> Send it to compliance at charlieburris at gmail.com. <laughs> Do not disparage these young men <laughs> or whatever you said. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, but if any any parting thoughts on that general conversation in terms of, and, and I think we, we can end it with this, surely something happens by, I would say, Thursday. You got to move on with life. Yeah, you, like, you either have to fire Pruitt or let him hire assistants. Yeah, exactly. Hello. Like, let's get going. You can't just lollygag like this. You know, the second signing day is coming up in two months. Yes. Hello. What are we doing? And fire Chris Winky, if nothing else. Just fire that guy. Just get that out of the way. That'll satisfy everybody for a little bit. Yeah. You you could at least get you would at least get me talking like, well, at least if you're gonna keep brewing, at least you got that guy out of the building. I mean, you'll even get that out of me. And so I yeah. Surely this week we either get the the dreaded vote of confidence from Fulmer. Well, I think Fulmer tried to give him the vote of confidence, and even that kind of failed in a way because it wasn't that strong. It was kind of you know. That's a sad vote of confidence if that's yeah, what that actually was. Where we're glad that we have an opportunity to play in a bowl game. Hmm. Well, and so maybe that's just what they're considering. Maybe they we should have just taken that as. 
he's staying. We It'll be March. That. It'll be March, and we'll still be wondering if, if he's the guy or not. <laughs> still going to not have offensive line coach. Yeah. Well, there, there's that, and we'll end, end with this. Basketball. Ha. Ah, basketball. It is so nice to have a respite to turn to in these tough, tough times. Now more than ever, in times like this, Tennessee basketball, 6-0, and number eight in the country, and they start on Wednesday night, 9 o'clock game, which is annoying, but nonetheless, uh, they, the uh, basketball team travels to Columbia, Missouri to take on old Kwanzo, 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 Martin, um, and his team who almost lost to Bradley uh, a couple days ago. Um, and so... Missouri also six and zero, number fourteen in America. I would say this is Tennessee's first real test on the road, um, and I I still Tennessee's last game against South Carolina Upstate was their worst game of the season by far. They played sloppy basketball and they won by twenty. Uh, that was that, incredible on social media. You know, if you'd have just looked at social media, you'd have thought Tennessee got blown out in that game <laughs> and lost. Yep. And they won by twenty. And that if it could not be more opposite of football. And that I love seeing that people are holding the team to that standard. I mean, yeah, that you, you expect to win. Rick Barnes has proved he can win. Let's hold him to that standard. I mean, yeah. If you're mad about a twenty point win, that's good. I mean, especially especially watching Kentucky just completely implode. Kentucky, I, I liked I saw some stat, I think it was from like Jeff Borzello or one of those like national guys. Kentucky's now one and six. They lost to Louisville over the weekend. Um, so my dad was happy, but uh, they lost to Louisville over the weekend. And they said no team in the history. I think, I hope I'm not misquoting this. Um, no team has gotten an at large bid to the NCAA tournament after starting one and six. No, t- like ever. I'm almost certain that's what he said. I, I might be misremembering that, but no team has ever got an at-large bid at one and six. Now it's a weird year. You got an SEC schedule still coming up for Kentucky, but I mean, whew. good luck. Kentucky Speaking fan. of Kentucky and <laughs> schedules, did you see John Calipari's comment about? Oh my gosh, that is what so a mess, man. Awful. That, I I think this this might finally be the year he jumps to the NBA. That he finally just goes, okay, I've had enough. I'm out, and goes. I I could at least. I, I've never totally thought that was realistic because I almost just go like, people kiss the ground that guy walks on in Lexington. But if the sheen's starting to wear off. If you look at like the comments to that tweet where he about he suspended the kid and then he said in a press conference that he was leaving the attitude adjustments to the players so that he didn't have to worry about that or something. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's went off the rails. <laughs> yeah. It's it's ugly, and I gotta admit, it's uh, fun. It's fun to see, though. Yeah, <laughs> I I can't say I'm not taking joy in it because <laughs> I am. Kentucky um, one and six, and Tennessee fans getting mad about winning by twenty. Who would have Who would have thought it? It's not a bad position to be in. I I will say that you already have a couple nice wins over Colorado, Cincinnati to start the season. I would put Missouri right above those just a clip above those two wins already. So it's it's probably the toughest game that you've had so far 
Um, but right now, Tennessee is playing the basketball that Conzo Martin always wanted to play, but never could really get out of his guys. He he did. What was it? 2014 when they made that Sweet 16 run. He did. Yeah, Jordan McRae, and he was playing some really good basketball, and Jarnell Stokes. But Tennessee right now is playing the basketball Conzo always wanted. Incredibly efficient defense, and then you can actually put the ball in the hoop. <laughs> You're not just scoring 39 points a game <laughs> like happened with Conzo so often. Um, and so I, I'll i say this. T- Tennessee's going to win till I see them not win. They're a really good basketball team. They're better than Missouri. They should win this game. Um, the, f- the freshmen kind of got their butt kicked for the first time against SC Upstate. Both both phenomenal freshmen kind of had off games. And so I think hopefully they have a bounce back in this one. Give me 21 points from Jaden Springer again and some amazing play from Keon Johnson. He's shown some flashes of just being amazing on both ends of the floor. Um, he plays really solid defense and can can take it to the rack. I'm man, I'm hyped. Basketball is a ton of fun, and it's so, so nice to not have to rag on a Tennessee team. So nice. Thank you, Rick Barnes, for that gift. But that's it. Um, I'm seeing a lot of tweets right now. Um, the Titans have okay it was 19 to 0 now it's 19 14 old tanny just ran in a touchdown so maybe my night's not ruined (laughs) we'll see we'll see we'll see maybe the titans pull this one out and then tomorrow morning we get we get the call from phil maybe we'll see that would that would be too much good news yeah it can't be that much good news it's tennessee exactly we can't we can't have that at tennessee not not too much at once um all right I think that's going to be it. Thank you so much for listening. I was serious. If you can convince me to get off the, the freeze train, come on. I'm open to it. But you got to have a good backup. you got to be able to say, I don't like freeze. But here's a better option. Um, and you will be judged in the court of law that is my Twitter mentions, and I don't go easy. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com for everything. That Zach writes and the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on iTunes and Spotify. Rate, review, subscribe. I think that's it. Zach, any parting thoughts for the folks at home? No, I just hope we get to talk to you guys midweek. Uh, that would yes. be everything. Please, please, please. And maybe next week, I, I've reached out to somebody, a, a cool insider guest. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I got to time down, get them on the show, but maybe. Uh, to get to talk about what happens. Hopefully, we'll be talking about what has happened with Pruitt at that point. So, that's it. Everybody have a good week. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'll say Christmas has already passed. What am I talking about? Happy New Year (laughs) to everybody out there. Uh, And that's it. We'll talk to you guys midweek, hopefully. I don't know. All right, bye. See you guys later.